Hello and welcome to the Event Industry News podcast. This podcast is kindly sponsored by N200 GES, our smart event solution partner. For more information on N200 and its smart event solutions, visit n200.com. A very good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you're tuning in uh, to us from. Uh, to all our viewers who have connected via the live stream of tonight's podcast via eventindustrynews.com. Tonight's live stream will allow you to interact in real time with our guests, giving you the power to put questions directly to them, get your opinions heard. You can also submit questions uh, via Twitter by tweeting at Event News Blog. Don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest content from Event Industry News by downloading the new Event Industry News app available for all the major mobile devices. So a very good evening to everybody and uh, our guests tonight are here to talk about trackway and temporary surfacing. It's um, often the first thing on site and the last thing off site. It plays a huge part in the planning and execution of the major outdoor event industry. Um, first of all, we welcome John Davey, founder of thefloorbox.com. John, good evening. Thanks for joining us. Good evening. Thanks for having me. And we also welcome back to the podcast, respected industry journalist, commentator, now director of All Access Communications, Nick Howden. Nick, good to have you on the show this evening. Hi, James. Yeah, good to be here. Um, John, let's start with you this evening. Let's find out a little bit more about Floorbox. Um, tell us about the premise of the company and what it is you guys are going to be doing. Okay, so um, my background comes from uh, event infrastructure. In fact, there's two parts to my recent background. Um, for many years, I, I was with a temporary flooring organisations of one kind or another, initially with a company called Rollertrack, which was very much to do with sales and marketing and selling of products, if you like, into the event industry, the military, construction, all kinds of different areas. Uh, and then a little later on, I, uh, we formed a higher division, which then got sold on to Eve Trackway, which is a company that most people in the UK would be very f familiar with and recent acquisition by a plant now and now live track by a massive organization with great capability and that was all about delivery of rental stock so I've sort of seen it from both sides of the fence from actually selling these products and also but renting them out and the different applications they are on um, that took me through till about 2009 and then I got involved with the Olympics and started going a bit elevated so I went to um, uh, not flat on the floor flooring but um, floor that went up in the air and and that was seen uh, and uh, used in the Olympic Games at the equestrian venue at Greenwich Park where we stuck up a 10,000 metre deck uh, which they stuck 2,000 tonnes of sand on and then the horses jumped on top of that which was a, <laughs> quite a piece of engineering. Sure. Um, so at that point James it's like if that's the one part of my life which relates to your industry I then took a, a little bit of a sabbatical out and um, went into the world of digital marketing and uh, focused primarily in the end on LinkedIn and met an awful lot of interesting people and connections along the way uh, and dealt mainly at that time with the City of London. Um, and then come the end of the middle of last year, I was sort of having a bit of a reflection on where things are. And I had this idea about how can I join the dots up between this, this digital marketing side of life and this event industry life that I'd been involved in. And, and, and that really was the start of the Floorbox idea. So, uh, I mean, people can find out, I suppose, on their own after they've watched tonight's podcast by going over to thefloorbox.com and, and they can go to the website and see a little bit about it. And one of the first things that I noticed when I went on the website uh, prior to, to this podcast is that there's a, a shopping cart button, um, which straight away aroused my attention. I thought, well, hold on, this is a bit different. I, I can obviously buy something on here. Tell us a little bit more about that aspect of it. 
Yeah, I mean, so the the concept of the floor box is is I, I you know when I was making this decision about um, how am I going to make some impact, you're always looking for an area where there might be a gap in the market, or or, or a you know a bit of added value that you can fulfil to the market. So. Um, you know, you look at a number of things. So I, I wanted to check back. It's a long time since I've been in, in the sale of temporary flooring. And that's predominantly what the, the floor box is about. So I wanted to understand the market. And I had this memory back from about 2007, um, which was um, working with a company that was always seeking in, inbound investment. So they always had this idea about, you know, what the temporary flooring market was worth. And I'm, well, my recollection of that uh, back in about 2009, it's about £120 million a year. That's worldwide. Sorry, dollars a year. So at the start of this process, I went down to the British Library, so I thought I'd better sort of check if that's still the case, because not a lot of point in doing it if it's not. Uh, but I'm pleased to tell you, James, it's up to about $450 million a year. And it's, it's, it's a massive growth in this industry. So then what I did is I went and looked at all the people that are making this kind of kit. And they're, it's, it's, you know, on the whole, they're either extrusions companies or they're injection molding companies and they work in plastics yeah. or they tend to work in aluminium. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, these guys are engineering based. That's what they do is heavy duty engineering and manufacture. And the truth is, you know, we can't all be good at everything. And I'm just lucky to have had this insight on the other side of the market on this digital marketing. And I thought, hang on, this is somewhere where I can really potentially add some value because it's incremental stuff that the manufacturers aren't doing or the hires for that matter in particular. So where I thought I could win is like, you know, if, if you've got simple terms, if you've got a $400 million market, if I can take just a very, very small proportion of that by being better than people in the internet and being better at marketing and getting better content out that educates people in the right way to tell them how to use these things in, in, in the right way, then I divert that through me. And all I've really become to the manufacturers is a cost of sale. And the truth is they really like it because they're, 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 you know, their speciality is heavy, heavy engineering. It's not doing the internet. So for me to come up and suggest to these guys, look, I'll take on this risk. I'll build this platform. I'll create this place where people can come to. And then they still get the, the, the product sales at the end of it. It seemed to make a lot of sense to them. So, so I, I suppose in a nutshell, then, this is the sale of temporary flooring or temporary trackway from a number of, of different source manufacturers. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'm, look, I, I guess if you the analogy would be sort of maybe like which magazine or something like this or the Amazon of, of, of flooring. I'll, I'll be a bit grandiose suggesting that at this stage. But you know what? What, what I the key things that are really important to me is education and accuracy to people and enabling people to make some really good decisions. So the more manufacturers I've got on board, the more choice of products that, that I have the better opportunity I have to position people into the right, in, into the right channels to, 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 to buy the product or to get hold of the product they actually need and it's going to be of value to them. And I think, you know, it's a phrase I've been using very recently while thinking about this because there are three things that can happen when people buy temporary flooring. And if you don't mind, I'll share them with you. And the first two of them are not good. Okay. So the first thing is that people uh, look at the situation and, and think, oh, you know what, I'm going to go for the cheap option. And on occasions, if it's the right application, that can work. But if they under underestimate the application that they're going for and buy a product that's not up to dealing with it, then then it's going to break. And and you know the, the, the exploding plastic or breaking aluminium or whatever. I mean aluminium a little less likely, but plastic going all over the place or or whatever system it is, it's not a great result for people. Result is unhappiness, and that's it. So the other end of the scale is once they've done that and they react the other way, or they react the other way first and they buy really expensive kit which is overkill for what they need to do. 
And again, they're going to feel like they've overspent money. They're not going to be happy. So we want to avoid that. So my aim and, you know, the, the Nirvana moment, if you like, of this is that you get the right education in place that guides you towards the specific pieces of equipment that are going to do the job for you at the right price. And if we can do that, then really I think our job's done. If I can offer three or four pieces of kit that do that and really, really give you some choice, then I think, you know, I'm hoping that the consumers of our our, our service, if you like, and the products that we, we sell really will get that, um, you know, that added value piece there from, from, from having that choice. And, you know, the reality is that James is 20 years of experience of looking at this kit, knowing what works and knowing what does. Absolutely. Um, I suppose a good opportunity now here to, to, to bring bring you in on this uh, as well, Nick. And um, uh, being devil's advocate for a second, Trackway uh, historically has has been um, an area taken up by higher companies. You know, events will only need so much of this. They will only need it every so often, maybe even once a year. So the whole point of, of having higher companies doing this is that, you know, events didn't need to buy it. Who's actually going to look to buy temporary flooring and temporary trackway rather than just hiring it in as and when they need it? I think that John's been fairly diligent to, to look at the, the whole market and rather than trying to take any existing part of the circle, it's about finishing the circle off, which has never really been done. And I would suggest, and John knows obviously far more than I do about it, but that there's an, a number of places that are doing probably smaller scale places that are doing regular events and not really in the um, in the rental supplier's interest they're not big enough potentially uh, to, to, to merit that kind of spend or that kind of uh, commitment but they might be doing regular things every weekend every second weekend or at a space that's not busy all the year round so they might have a lot of opportunity to use stuff and it's in their interest to protect a to protect the ground that they've got be it a uh, for instance, Blenheim Palace, and I'm talking totally off the top of my head, that has a very, very special sort of uh, ground that has to be absolutely protected. And mm -hmm. they're, uh, so that if they've got it in the, in the shed that they can just wheel out, it's not a huge, uh, huge amount of trackway required, for instance. Um, and other and sports grounds and stuff that uh, uh, are not, big, not sort of the big enough to have, you know, the massive festivals or, or, or live concerts on, but want to... Um, um, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say, John, you were nodding there, and it looked like yeah, you, you were so, embellished just, there on, on top of what Nick was saying. Yeah, there's just a couple of examples that I'll give you just to add to that, and one actually very similar uh, uh, to what Nick was saying about Blenheim. I, I visited the state, the home, we've got one up in Norfolk here called um, Holcomb Hall, and the business yeah. development yeah. manager for that is um, a guy called Alan Miller. And Alan runs, uh, this year they've got Tom Jones playing up there. They do cycling, triathlon, and different events every year. Uh, and I wandered up there because they've got a bit of an issue with some cattle grids up there. I just thought it would be really, really clever and, um, uh, uh, and go and suggest a couple of products that were in there. And there he was. He's got his 60 euro mats. He's bought them. He's already got them in place because, as Nick said, they run event after event. They have Christmas fairs, Easter fairs. They know they need these little pieces there. So, that you know, the stately home and, and the event venue that is consistently running events um, as it. And there's another reason why they have, have a small stock of trackway. Because the issue... You know, rental is a fantastic thing, as you absolutely right said, change. If you're running a one-off and you need stuff in there, clearly it's not viable that you're going to buy stuff at that point in time. You're going to rent it in. Multiple rentals. And then the other thing about this is, is if it's a small quantity, 
So if you only need like 34 meters, say for example, let's use an example that people don't understand. Everybody's seen the pictures of Glastonbury with the mud and the trucks and the cars. Where that happens is where everybody converges into the one spot to get out of a small gate or something like that. So there's these like, you know, um, these bottlenecks of, of, of traffic where they, you know, the multiple uses does it in. To have 30 or 40 meters of kit at that point, for you to rent 30 or 40 meters, there's like a minimum hire that most of these companies have, plus the logistical distance they've got to come to. It's unbelievably expensive. So those kind of environments, again, if you're if you're running a small venue or you need small amounts in in just a, 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 a tight area where you've got lots of traffic, that's potentially where people are going to look at buying rather than hiring. I suppose another question that people will ask as a and we, if we use the venue as 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 uh, a very good example because I think realistically in my short time of looking at this that's where I can see that this would make absolute sense is for a venue to hold a small stock and be able to deploy it when needed how would they look at the the economics of it how would they weigh it up have you also factored in a way of sitting down with potential clients and saying look here's what it would cost as an initial outlay but here's the comparison to what it would cost to hire and here's how long you could expect to pay it back in yeah, look, I, I think there's, um, you know, each individual is a different application in that in that situation, and absolutely, yeah, I mean, very much a part of what we want to do. I sort of alluded to it earlier on is to do this consultancy piece about, you know, inviting people to, you know, challenge us with the questions and um, give us the problems that we can solve. Because I think that, you know, primarily that's what every business is about is solving a problem. Now, if there is a problem to be solved, there is a point of leverage where it's worth paying for or it isn't, and we can certainly advise and help in that respect. Um, but it does also somewhat come down to individual circumstances when you're when when you're getting around that issue. And you know, sometimes the other thing is to say it's quite better to say no or find somewhere else to do this because it just isn't going to work. And I think that kind of advice can be just as useful as um, uh, uh, pointing people in the direction of using a temporary surface if it is not the right thing to do. Do you want to Sorry, incidentally, um, if, you've, if, if Venue X is coming to you looking for, for something to put a, you know, let's say a, uh, a, a big screen on and they, and they want some trackway for that, but then it's got to be in their interest to be doing a number of events. So what happens if they're doing different events? Do you have to get a, a flexible track that might be able to accommodate different things? Do you try to give a, give, saying what are you doing and what are you doing you know, from A to B so that you can get a track where that fits all of those things or do you tell them you need to buy this and rent that or how do you split that equation? Again, you sort of—I guess—you're sort of hitting the nail on the on the head, which is—I guess—is a little difficulty of this is that you—you know—that there is, there are certain certainly intermediate systems that give you a variety of um, uh, applications, if you like, that are in that mid-range price, but they're not going to be cheaper chips, and they're not going to do the extremities. And by that, they're going to be a bit overkill for the people walking on them, but they're not going to take a 75-ton crane. You know, so yeah. I, I think what you're going to look at there in that situation, Nick, is you know what is the mass of the application? Where are you going to get the most value from? And and then you're going to advise accordingly in, in that respect. And absolutely, if you have those high-end pieces of you know, you know, let's let's face it, something like a U2 stage weighs about 700 tons, and to get that onto a football pitch, you've got to get three 75-ton cranes basically going across the the 18 yard line to do that. So if you looked at the average groundsman at a football ground, they're only really happy when they don't have football players, players on the pitch. So when they see a 75 ton crane come through the gate, generally <laughs> speaking, they're pretty unhappy. 
these pitches are about a million pounds. I mean, Nick, you know, we, we just did a bit of work up at Saracens doing a similar application very recently. Um, and they have a 3G pitch there. So you have to understand the difference between 3G and grass. And there are, I won't bother to go into it at the moment, but there are, but you know, there are certain principles that still remain. But what we're doing is enabling people to do things on ground that, you know, uh, it's the old thing with football grounds, especially, and, and certainly uh, probably quite a lot of venues that they are settled within a core business pattern they're always looking for ways to enable themselves to get out of that um, mold or, or to increase the revenue lines they can get so if we can create an area on a pitch which allows them to add on these events and in the case of Saracens it was a local festival that they needed to get a big screen in they needed to get a stage built they've got to play rugby on it two days later that's a key thing so again in that circumstance it was a rental uh, and I think in the UK, we're talking about rental is, is probably quite likely to be the way that people go in that kind of environment. But when you're further afield in more remote places, you know, maybe in Europe, maybe in Africa and places like that, absolutely venues look at buying this kind of equipment because the rental facilities aren't in play. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to turn things ever so slightly um, to an area that um, I, I was keen to, to ask about, and that's the, the advice side of things, John, um, looking at the right product for the right application, the right purpose, because as I've always seen it, that there are lots of different hire companies doing lots of different trackway and flooring solutions in the industry, and they tend to focus on one particular type of it. So ultimately, if an event goes to them and says, can you give me a quote, they're going to do the absolute best that they can to secure that business, in some ways, regardless of whether or not their product is ultimately the correct product for that particular application. Um, are there regular instances where venues and event organizers don't deploy the right product for the right situation purely because of a price point of view or the company has recommended it for their own benefit you you, you could certainly say that uh, and you know look you're right it's nobody's fault i mean the, the, if a trackway company is invited to bid in for a higher job they've got the systems they're going to that they own that they're going to promote they're not going to promote somebody else's i suppose and i suppose that's you know where i really have a key advantage because I'm not tied. I'm not tied to anybody. I can look across the broad spectrum and do that. You know, I, I will give you one example. I, again, I don't think this is not about apportioning blame or fault in any direction. But if you look at that rather large event that happened here in 2012, when the sheer scale of it and the sheer, the matter of delivery that was needed on, on, on a global sports event such as the Olympics, then there was all sorts of contributing factors in there which led to exactly that circumstance. And look, it is not the manufacturer's fault, it's the hirer's fault maybe, you know, if, they, if they're putting their kit into a place where they know it's potentially going to fail, well, they're risking their own product and their own stock, so that, that's not advisable. But, um, you know, I, I think when you get something that's on the size and scale of that, or the Glastonbury that we run now, um, then yeah, errors can get made. And that's when it gets costly because and again, that short, if you look at, I guess, what you might call the short-sighted view of, you, you look, you're, what you're obviously looking at is how much does it cost me to rent this product or to get this product in, and that mm -hmm. might cause a, a sharp intake of breath, but it's going to cause an awful lot more sharper intake of breath if you get the renovation bill after the event because you picked the wrong bit of kit. And yeah. it really, really hurts then because everything's gone this after the event and you've got to somehow, you know, uh, the landowner or whoever the venue owner comes in and gives you a bill for a quarter of a million quid for replacing a, uh, a, a, a bit of land that shouldn't have been damaged. Um, that really is going to hurt. So that's that's the kind of thing, um, 
that I think everybody's trying to avoid, whether they're manufacturers, hirers, or, or in our case, in the floor boxes being that consultancy piece there, that's absolutely what you're trying to not, to, to not happen. And it's, it, look, it's rare. It is rare if people get it right. But if you do put the wrong, wrong product in the wrong place, you, you know, I, I can't deny you people are taking a risk when they do that. Nick, in your sort of experience of, of having spoken to lots of different event organisers, lots of different venues in in, in your career, um, have you have you seen good and bad examples of, of venues and organisers taking quite a diligent approach to this whole subject and and doing what John was alluding to, which is identifying that actually with a little bit more investment and a slightly different type of product, actually that will serve the purpose a little bit better. I was uh, I made a point, and I don't know how uh, good it was, but I, I made a point of going to the people who did the job the best, basically. So it was about stories that led by example. So I didn't have many examples of an organizer getting it sort of fundamentally wrong. The, mm -hmm. What I noticed on on price breakdown, a startup or a one-off festival might skip the trackway and say, well, actually, we, we're going to have it only where we have to have it. Um, and that could be difficult certainly um but yeah but I, I didn't come across and you know it's not in anyone's interest you know like john's alluded to getting that fundamental wrong means anything goes across it is not going to come across unscathed basically because if it's wet yeah and you know all of that that knock-on is huge so it's it's a bit like a set of dominoes if you get that fundamental first bit wrong at best you're going to get cars stuck on the, the egress or whatever so uh, it, it is something you, you need to be and it, it's interesting that, that John's there so you're effectively taking that burden of responsibility if, if I come to you and saying look I'm setting up this event you will say I will give you the right advice if they can come to you knowing they're going to get the, the absolute right advice as long as they give you the, the whole picture you'll tell them exactly what they need this is it, and it's you know ultimately it's there. It's an individual, organisational, person's choice whether they take that advice or not. Yeah, but no, what, yeah. what James was saying there, you know, that, that, that there is the gamble that people take, and it's on the weather. And you know, let's face it, I mean, this, this spring's been exceptionally dry. But once again, I remember 2012. If you remember pre-Olympics, it was probably the wettest spring known to mankind, with all it's these was, monumental yeah. off, off, off venue construction sites that were being built all over the place. And they sometimes, on some occasions, and I'm not going to name places or anything about this, but you know, I, 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 I visited a number of the sites and was <laughs> responsible for for helping them resolve certain situations on occasions. But you can run into a trouble in seconds with bad weather, and um, there were certain sites where, look, I, you know, again, it's, it, it, I'm going back five years, but you could. You know, a layman could stand there and see that there were issues arising, um, and 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 anybody could stand there and think, Jesus, that's going to cost them a shitload of money to sort this out. And 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 you know, I'm not saying that all things are avoidable because they're not, but it comes down to, and I th I think the one thing I would point out about that event and and the people that I met within the organisation who were responsible for. Um, for actually acquiring this stuff, that the, the experience in terms of the speciality of these 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 systems was, um, let's, let's be fair, limited. 
and some of the decisions that they were made. Let's face you know, the thing about something on that scale and the money that got spent on that. It's funny how it was different in 2011. Test testing, it was all all right because they still had plenty of budget left. Um, by 2012, I'm sure they're under all kinds of pressure to keep those budgets down and, and to save money. And that's where the short-sighted risk can, 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 can uh, you know, happen because a procurement budget is different to an operational budget. And if they're seen to be delivering good value in one end of it, it might not deliver such good value at the end of it. And I think probably these... These massive events, where you know the Commonwealth Games, the Olympic Games, all those kind of um, areas are probably some of the areas which could benefit most from having a little bit of forethought and a little bit of real industry knowledge uh, and insight at the early stages to save what could be massive amounts of money at the end of it. Um, and, and we will never know, I suspect, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how that finally went. But I think five years ago, I'm sort of in a relatively um, uh, safe position to sort of at least at least make the comment on that. Yeah, well, there was. It reminds me. I don't know if it was the same thing, but there was some soap opera stars involved, and uh, um, I've, as, as I recall, and there was a day of an event lost to the weather, but it was it was dug out very quickly. And again, it was what I meant about preparation and knowing what to do, given that. And it turned out it was the weather. I think you know you can't help that, and sometimes you just have to. You're always looking after your crowd, obviously, in the audience and stuff. And sometimes the sensible thing is you have to. It's damage limitation, isn't it? And it's knowing your stuff to know what yeah, the, the remedy is. And that costs you a day, that costs you a day. And that's the unfortunate punch you have to take. But the fact is the, the show was on again the next day because it was the right people in the right place knowing what to do when they were throwing that very, very curved, wet ball. Uh, and let's face it, I think, you know, just to, if I was give a big up to the, the hire industry around this country, I think the, the UK hire and the UK actually trackway industry is probably absolutely world, lead, world leading. And there's no disrespect to other nations. I know Germany's got a fair bit, but most of the, the organisations that went into Germany and Europe have come from here. So the likes of Eve, the likes of Lion, and now their combined forces. And they, they're really like the sleeping monster because, you know, you, you can let them tread by, but the bottom line is just the use of it. If you get into trouble, I mean, they really can be like Batman turning up, and um, uh, you know, they they've got the capacity and the scale to really make a massive difference. I mean, we had some real mega challenges. I, mean, I don't know if you mentioned this, James, but I got I got involved in um, the big project I did in the Olympics was the um, external bus. Uh, park and ride venues, which were yeah. something that sort of got a little bit lost in the process. Um, there's quite a good story of this because um, uh, I, I mean I got a call in 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 mid May or somewhere, so we're sort of like seven weeks out from the Olympic Games starting point from Jeff Burke actually at ES Global, and he said, um, I, I you know the, the Olympics is about 26 Glastonbury's is the way I've analysed it going at the same time, so that they miss things or things get delayed, and and, and pretty much that's what happened there. And uh, got this call saying that look, JD, they're they're looking for a bit of trackway for the Olympics, and I said how much? They said 55,000 square metres, which I can tell you is sort of like five and a half times the size of Wembley Stadium, um, which you know Glastonbury takes two thirds of the trackway that live possess. You can imagine like. It's that kind of amount of kit that in Olympic year, five weeks out from the event, they needed to find. So you know, what, what, what did I have? I, well, I had a black book. And I, I, I went from here to basically Bratislava, seeking trackway, seeking it here, seeking it there. And I found, I found which I couldn't believe, 33,000 square metres. And then we worked out that we could leapfrog from one of the venues, I think it was Lee Valley, which is the, the whitewater rafting. Yep. We could leap it from there to Eaton Dorney for the rowing and just make it. 
So we put our last, long story short, but we put our last panel into Eaton, in, into Lee Valley at 10.30 at night on the way the event, on the day the event, the, the, the um, opening event happened. And four days later, we were back in there and shifting that 35 miles across that, something like 10,000 meters, two and a half thousand pounds a kit. And that was, that's what I mean by the Batman thing, because that's Eve live, Lion Track as they were, came in and they're unbelievable when those guys get going. You get the great teams and working, the speed they can move is incredible. And we shifted the whole venue, one thing to another. Incredible. Um, uh, it's a, perhaps another story, another podcast episode there of, uh, of reflective, sto uh, reflective stories of that. I'm sure, I'm sure we can get another one out of that. Um, one thing I'm keen to do, going back to the core part of your uh, of floor box, John. Um, sure. You mentioned uh, earlier on in the episode that um, the more manufacturers you can get on board, um, the better it is, because obviously that, that's going to increase how much you can offer for sale through the website, and ultimately what you're doing is sourcing from the manufacturer and then making that available for direct sale to, to people who may need these quantities that we talked about. How, how is that process going to work if a manufacturer comes to you and says, well, how can I get involved in that? Is there a vetting process if you don't know the manufacturer? How do we ensure sort of quality? So, you know, I've got to like a checker trade version, variety of this, which is we're going through some iterations on the site. Um, look, my ambition is this is not like ge geographically located in the UK because the internet doesn't work that way. So I'm off to Germany at the end of May and then I leave Germany. I go straight to the United States because I'm visiting manufacturers and suppliers in the States. I'm looking at all the e-fulfillment logistics platforms over there that can enable me to set up this very same operation. As soon as we got the model established as we want it in the UK, um, my choice is either geography, where I'll go to Europe, or it's language, and I go to the States. Now, there's a rather large market over there in, in my research telling me that would benefit. It's probably the States is a little bit behind us in terms of their um, development with this kit, so I see that's a massive opportunity. It's not just events, it's the military, it's government, it's all kinds of stuff, utilities companies, all kinds of people that we can get involved with. So. Um, but I have to be geolocational about it. I can't ask a company in Belgium or Holland to supply the States. It isn't going to work. So I have to have suppliers over there that can do that, that same thing over there. So look, I'm hugely ambitious about this. Um, I see it as an absolute add-on to the industry that's out there that hasn't been done before. Um, and I'm very, very determined and have great purpose in taking this and moving it across the, the, the world um, or certainly to the US um, before the end of this year. So there's another end to this, which is, um, I, I think, a real potential uh, bit of the market which people haven't considered before. And that's like the likes of you and me um, when we're living at home and we're doing things because the industry is not set up, the sales industry of this is not set up to deal with. Um, dealing with individuals. So if, for example, James, you had a, um, a, a garage that you wanted to convert for a different use and you didn't want the concrete floor, um, so you wanted to put a civil surface in there that, 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 mm -hmm. that would be more conducive with you maybe putting a ping pong table or your gym in there, um, well, if you would think, well, you know, I need 10 or 15 meters to do that and you rang up any of the manufacturers, the chance of they just go, ah, no. We don't do it. They're very much focused on industrial scale. And this is coming back to the, um, the combination of my two worlds of understanding that digital marketing and e-commerce background. So, you know, there's been some huge changes in the last 10 years. You know, I guess 10 years ago, if I'd asked Nick or myself to stick a credit card into the internet 10 years ago, somebody would have got punched in the face because you wouldn't want to do it. Whereas now, if we can't tap, do one tap click. Tap phone on the supermarket. That's it. If you can't do that, you're getting annoyed. Oh, God, why, why can't I do this? 
So, you know, that's changed. Out of that has grown this e-fulfillment business, which just didn't simply exist 10 years ago. So I remember, like, years and years ago, then back in the late 90s, early 2000s, we, we were going to the likes of B&Q, talk about gardens, you know, so you need a base for your shed, but you've got to put concrete in. No, you don't have to do that. We can find a solution to deal with that. Or, or you want to literally wheel your wheelbarrow for the lawn that you've just mowed or you've got a party with people come around, you know. Well, there's all these reasons why people might, think, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, but they can't get it. And quite frankly, they don't even know it exists because the manufacturers are not promoting in that direction. So that's where I'm thinking an area that's one of the areas that I'm really going to uh, push quite hard on is, is that ability to drop ship and box because that e-fulfillment industry allows me to do that. I put five meters in a box. I can send it out to you wherever you are. And that can go all around the world as well. So look, the quantities that we're talking about might be really small. It might be five, 10, maximum 15 square meters. Um, but let's take, for example, just one, one, one outlet that I've looked at, say, for example, the Caravan Club, who have yeah. you know, 3 million members. In, next to the RAC, the biggest membership club in the whole of the UK, 3 million people who have uh, caravans, 3 million people of which a fairly good percentage have awnings, who probably don't want to sit in the mud when they're out camping. Here's, here's an opportunity. It's, and this is the hugest change. It's like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we went to B&Q. And as, as I was at that time with a company called Rollertrack, we promoted and said, look, this product. And they said, yeah, this will really work with our community. They'd love this. Um, <laughs> well, the killer, the killer always is. People like big organizations, yeah, we'll buy your stuff, but you have to box it up. And what's more, we'll, we'll pay you 60 days after we've sold each individual box. So, you know, yeah, it, it yeah. just makes it absolutely unworkable. So the internet, what I understand about the internet is it opens up all kinds of opportunity. It allows, the, it takes the, the boot of power to some extent out of the massive companies and the massive corporations uh, and puts it into the hands of everybody if they, if, if they have the, um, um, in some sense of ability or, or, or goals in, in which they want to achieve. So, look, it's another area which I'm quite excited about and, and hopefully to take. And, you know, I just wanted to give you some idea that you know, there's, there's a multitude of different routes this, 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 this organization is looking to take. And in no way is it looking to compete with people that are out there. We're just looking to add value to, to, to manufacturers and to hirers for that matter, uh, uh, you know, because we can pass our information and our knowledge on to others and help them make these better decisions. And when I think about it, Nick, you could probably shed a bit of, uh, of, of light and opinion on this. Um, uh, I, was, I was recently driving around deepest, darkest Buckinghamshire, around some of the villages there, and a lot of great village pubs and traditional pubs with really lovely beer gardens, all of which seem to have a, a blackboard or a poster outside advertising their summer music festival over two days and there just seems to be this wealth of sort of very small often pub based you know music festivals that are happening and events over the summertime and perhaps this is exactly the sort of scenario that that, that would would fit with what John's trying to do isn't it you know that they want a, a small amount that they can use and deploy and the higher companies simply just wouldn't turn up to something like that it just wouldn't make financial sense for them to go to one of the major higher companies and ask them to do something on such a small scale yeah, I mean, I think that's um, one of the, the whole sort of festival question and that evolution and how it's going to change from having the massive, necessarily, with, there'll be exceptions, obviously, uh, but I think you'll have less, ultimately, of those big festivals. You've got a dearth of headliners. It can't work like that. It's not sustainable, really, to have a continual growth, and you're already seeing more single days and all that sort of stuff. And the more local it can get with 
inexpensive bands who want to plug in and play and just, you know, a bit, and they'll get a natural audience locally and all that sort of stuff. Pub does very well in beer. It's not going to want to spend a load of stuff, or a load of money all the time on infrastructure. There's a local festival to, to us down here that's happening, which is on a slightly bigger scale. But I think you're absolutely right. And I think it plays right for what John's doing because you, why not get some quality track that you know has got X number of years durability about it that you can click together and it's explained to you by Floorbox exactly how you put it together. There's either someone there or there's a, uh, a pod, you know, a detail on the internet you can follow click for click to put it together. And I, it makes absolute sense. And I think no, that's the sort of thing that should grow and grow. You, you raise a good point there, Nick, and, and I'll throw this back to you, John, from a, an installation point of view. Okay, on the one hand, let's say that you convince a venue that it's absolutely the right decision for them to invest in buying some of their own stock rather than entertaining the prospect of hiring it in. What if they don't have the staff to install it? What if they don't want the hassle of having to deal with it themselves? Isn't that one of the things that the hire companies do very well, which is not only they're supplying it, but they're installing it, they're cleaning it, they're maintaining it, they're taking it away. It's that peripheral hassle. Is it going to be quite easy for people to install the stuff that you're going to supply to them? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, most of this stuff, I'll be absolutely frank, is not rocket science. Uh, it, it, it's designed to um, uh, be simply installed and taken away, and primarily because it's focused towards, the, say, the event industry or the military. You know, these guys are picking stuff up and putting it down all the time. So we have a lot of data on um, um, instructional pieces of video, and you know, a lot of the work we're going to do on that content we're going to put out is going to be the how-to. So if you see a product, it's quite important for you to see the actual motions of putting it together and taking it apart. So that's you know what I mean about this educational process to 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 to, to allow people to um, uh, get to these decisions and find the right piece of kit for themselves. Um, and, and funny enough, we you know, recently I mean it's just another example of um, I've done some we've done some installation because I know people who do. And you know uh, from from my perspective as a as a as a service add-on uh, for people, then it makes sense to at least consider it because you're absolutely right. You know, that people are busy and, uh, and it, again, if it's not their core business, maybe they do want help, um, you know, if they're buying a product to, to, to get it installed in the right way and um, uh, help them, um, you know, just get things set up and foundationally correctly done. Mm -hmm. where, where, does a, where would a venue stand from a liability point of view if they make the investment in, in some, some stock and you know, from a training point of view, they just hand it over to their to their staff and say, right, we bought all of this stuff, go and install it for me, and one of them gets injured. Is there a, a, an issue or a specific training um, process that a venue would have to go through in order to assume liability of, of a product? I don't, in truth, in the industry, in the manufacturer industry, if you were to ring up um, um, a manufacturer, they would most likely send out some kind of documentation which gives some instructional format. I'm not sure there's liability. They tend to come with product-based warranties. So it's material material warranties and, and structural warranties with the, with the equipment. Outside that, um, I'm, not, I'm not aware of anybody who puts that additional public sort of liability on top of that. Clearly, a manufacturer would want to be helpful. They would want people to be successful with their products. So certainly if asked for advice, and certainly from our point of view, we'd be very, very happy to advise. 
you know, I think and that's the point, of, I guess, about the difference between hire and the difference between, you know, you've got a dry hire sometimes when they just deliver a product and let people put it in. Well, that becomes the, the liability of the person who's put it in to, whether they damage it or themselves. Or they're supervised when people hire companies bring their crews and it will work the same with sale. If you bought an installation crew in, then it becomes our responsibility. If we're selling product, then it is um, uh, the, the liability and the responsibility of the user. Um. One one thing again, just to sort of quizzing you a little bit on some of the things that are actually on the website. You've spoken a lot about giving advice and being able to to give a an impartial opinion on what may be best and what be most suitable for people. Um, is there a risk that you could give out, you know, good quality advice to people and then they decide, well, I'll just go and hire that in now rather than buying the stuff that he's told me is, is going to be the best thing? Or is that simply part and parcel of, of what you're going to be doing? It's absolutely part and parcel of what I'm going to do. And, you know, to be to be honest, there, there's a sort of try before you buy element to this on occasion because you can do, you know, on occasions, depending if, you you know, again, if the quantity is the right for you to do it and um, uh, the applications are, uh, are appropriate in that way. Um, but look, you know, there are people that ring other companies and end up talking to me. So I think that sort of goes around and comes around. You know, our USP, if, if, if you like, is we haven't got an axe to grind with anybody. We, you know, it is purely this consultancy-based approach, this which magazine type approach to just, you know, our, our singular ambition is that people get what they want in the format they want. And we're, we're, we're then happy because they're happy because it works. And is this is this live now? I should I should ask you know the, the website is obviously there for people to go and see. But um, how long have you actually been in business, and and have you already you know done your first bits of business? Yes, we have. <laughs> uh, and I, look, I, I, I've um, uh, things off to hand. I mean, I've, I've made sales into the military so far. So look, I mean, since we launched, we've, we're into a good five figures since March, and um, I'm pretty happy with the progress with that. Um, you know, there are other areas of focus outside the mili uh, the event industry that we 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 help with. So, um, event industry is a bit of an odd one because you're very very seasonal with what you do. You know, you've got mm -hmm. this mad window between now and September. So we're probably a little bit late into the field for this year. I'm, you know, I'm relatively happy about that, but you know, we, we couldn't help it as it takes a amount of time to build these things and then to publicise them and, and 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 let people know you're there. You know, so if people are coming to us in September, October from the event side of things, I, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, there are other categories of industry that we have helped out, and um, film and television is one. Uh, we've certainly started doing quite a little bit of work with the with the military um, in this country and abroad. Uh, and that's part of the reason I'm off to the States is because of that. So, um, no, I couldn't be happier with the progress we're making. Um, uh, and in, in some ways, a lot of our focus is going to be on um, iterating out the site now, and, you know, learning from the feedback that we've got back already uh, and, and making little changes here and there to make it a little bit more efficient as we go along. So it's all going to be about... Um, you know, we have a certain brand that we're trying to establish. We have a certain way of doing things. It, it, it's one of the, the funny things about setting up this site to start with. I mean, I've been absolutely reliant and, and rightly so on the manufacturers because they're, you know, these are the guys that are in the field. These are the people that we're trying to really support and improve and increase their sales, if anything. Uh, and, and what we found is um, a lot of the imagery is, is, is actually quite old. Um, and um, some of the shots actually that are on our website at the moment date from 1999. So we're, we're not really super up to date. So I've been having a look at that and, and, and working on, you know, uprating the content to what people expect to see these days, which is really good um, graphical stuff, putting lots of video in play that um, people can get a real sense for, uh, for what it's about. And the way I'm trying to do that, James, is to, to, to look into what people's issues are. Because I think if, if you find out what the problems are, you can solve them. 
it, it, it generally speaking becomes a, a, a little bit more attractive. So, um, if you don't mind, I'll give you one example of that. I, I, Please do, yeah. yeah we, so we, we, we've done a bit of work, um, got asked by, funny enough, bizarrely, very local to me, about five miles away. My mum lives, actually, a little village in South <laughs> Norfolk. And they have a tennis club. And, you know, this is quite a different application, but it's a venue, it's a community, it's a parish council, you know. These, and and they, they, they sit there and they, they, they had a, a pathway behind the tennis club, which has been there for 45 years. And, you know, it, it got muddy, it, it got slippery, and bits of the tarmac are broken up and they were looking to change it so they, again their budgets are limited they're, they're very um, um, sort of um, restricted in the way they can operate yeah. so they looked at tarmac they looked at permanent solutions tarmac and concrete they looked at temporary flooring that sat on top of the ground um, and and that in fact is a it was quite an expensive option to them but what we were able to do was look again throughout this broad spectrum of the market and look at what we call rather than trackway which you know this is a sort of technical difference trackway which sits on top of the ground there are if you have that slightly more permanent um, aspect to what you're doing there's ground reinforcement systems um, like this product called Duropath another one called GeoGrid which you embed into the ground so what we did dug out the pathway, and this was a service thing that we went and actually did the installation for them as well, which is quite good. Um, and it's only 45 metres long, um, it, it is about a metre and a half wide, and we stuck this framed grid into the ground, level ground, filled it full of stone and shingle afterwards, hey presto, they got a pathway. It was economically viable for them, it's going to last them 20 or 30 years, and it absolutely solved the problem they had. So those kind of, uh, you know, looking into these little different applications in different directions. Wonderful for me because I get a whole new range of people. How many parish councils are there in the UK? There's a lot. <laughs> you know, I can go and talk to all of them. I can share this story with them. So, you know, what we had there was look, here's our problem. We've got a pathway. We don't know what to do. It's too expensive for us to do what we really want to do. And here's this imaginative solution that enables them to have security of tenure for 35 years, knowing that people are going to safely walk, access the tennis courts, access the playgrounds behind it, they're happy. They're really, really happy with it. So that's the kind of story that I like to tell. Because rather than me saying, it doesn't matter what floor it is. It doesn't matter. You know, there's many, many categories of floor. What's the problems people have? If I can find the problems and solve them for people, that's how I hope I will get through to people, engage with them, and, and, and invite their, their inquiry back. As we run... As we run towards the end of time on tonight's episode, that there is there is one final thing that uh, I wanted to fire at you. One final question. Um, pretty much to 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 a man, that the rental companies will all say that they service events of any size. That will be one of their sort of key sales lines. Any any size, it doesn't matter. H how will they, you know, realistically react to your particular service and going after selling systems into what I think we we're pretty much agreed on is is smaller scale um, venues, operations, or smaller scale requirements. Um, do you know, I think they've got enough on their plates. There's enough big events out there, Glastonbury's and, and V festivals and all these different areas that they go to, notwithstanding then the utilities um, work that they do for the power grids, the railway work they do, the, you know, I, I know that um, live track we're out in France doing the Somme festival for 10, 36,000 metres of track panels going down in, in France at the moment. I'm not competing with that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm working with, you know, they're in hire, I'm in sales. They may well benefit from, uh, in terms of hire companies from me because of the network of people I get involved with and the traffic of people I, that come to my website. If I get an inquiry that deems it necessary for hire, 
then I'm out to every single trackway company out there, and I know most of them to talk to them about their delivery to their ability to help my clients in delivering products to it. People like Entity who I work with, people like Live. I, you know, I've worked with these guys. I know them all all the way. I can tell the difference between you know if a client, if a client's coming to me and I know they need to hire, I'm not going to try and sell them. I think this is it's pointless. You know, what I said about people getting upset when they get sold for the reasons. I want people to buy into what I'm doing. I don't want them to feel they're being sold to, and I think there's a massive difference with that. And if that means that they need to go to a higher company, well, as long as I do the same thing, I apply them to the right higher company and I help and advise them to get the right product, then I'm going to be happy. Nick, um, uh, before before we wrap up the show, just coming back to you um, briefly, you mentioned at the start of the episode that John's service and Floorbox is, is going to be filling that last little gap to complete the circle within the industry. Um, some of the comments that you've made then during the episode, you, you seem very, very firm in that belief. You, you're quite confident that there is this marketplace in your experience within the events industry for people to, to buy the stuff that John is talking about rather than hiring it. Well, it's it's an education for me because there's never been anything like this before. So, but I just I've I've listened to what um, what John said and his sort of research, and I can see the logic in it. And it is a matter of sort of tying those ends up. And I, it's not taking away what I mean about filling that last bit of the circle. It's not taking away, as John's just explained, from any existing service. It's a new solution, if you like. And it only benefits the greater events industry if you've suddenly got these guys who, are, like we've said, putting on smaller things can do them more cost efficiently and more effectively and looking after the place that they're holding the event on which is going to go down much better with the person they're either renting it from or, or themselves in terms of keeping up the, the, the standards if we're talking about you know a, a place like Blenheim or, or, a, or a sports ground or something like that so I do I, to, I totally get the logic of it yeah the floorbox.com is the place for our viewers and our listeners to head over to. You can find out a little bit more about the company. I'm sure there's all sorts of ways that you can get in contact with John um, if you do want to, to ask questions directly and find out if it's right for you and what you're doing out there. The floorbox.com. And we should thank our guests this evening. Um, first of all, Nick Howden, Director of All Access Communications, respected ind industry journalist with many years of wisdom behind him. Nick, thanks very much for joining the podcast this evening. That was great. Thank you very much. And John Davey, founder of thefloorbox.com and Floorbox. John, um, thanks very much for your insight this evening. It's been, been, been fascinating. Um, I, I appreciate the fact that um, you've gone off topic a little bit as well and given us some great examples from your experience in the industry. Um, I'm sure people will be getting in touch with you and we're uh, certainly going to keep our eye on you to see how this project progresses. So good luck with it and thank you very much for joining us this evening. Really appreciate your help um, uh, and um, uh, appreciate the invitation for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Not a problem at all. Tonight's podcast, as always, is kindly sponsored by N200 GES, our smart event solution partner. For more information on N200 and its smart event solutions, please visit n200.com. Next week, we're going to be looking into um, unique and unusual venue report. Um, that's going to be, again, a completely different subject to tonight's, but that's why we love the podcast, is that every week we're talking to different people and finding out about different things and hopefully hopefully connecting the industry uh, in lots of different ways. Don't forget to download the brand new Event Industry News app available for your uh, mobile devices, smartphones, available on all the major platforms. You can stay up to date with the latest content happening in the industry on eventindustrynews.com. If you are uh, watching this podcast on video, don't forget that you can head over to iTunes and subscribe to the audio-only version of the podcast. 
for now, it's time to wrap up and say thank you very much once again to our guests this evening. This is the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon. Thanks very much for listening or watching, and we'll see you next week. Good night. Mm-hmm.